<laughs> Good morning, everybody. Wow, that was a very, very important uh, clarification because uh, elder brother, not very good image <laughs> in a prodigal son. And uh, well, and actually this is a passage that I'm going to look at, Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 11 to 32, and the topic is uh, purported grace. And just to uh, make sure that uh, we're on the same page, uh, the word purported means uh, it, it is not, but is what people uh, want to put it up as. It is uh, huh? so purported to be so and so. I can purport myself to. I'm purported to be the prime minister of Singapore, but it's not real, correct? Uh, because somebody asked me during a break time. I mean, what do I mean by uh, purported? Okay, so I think we should clear clear that. Uh, and um, you you should be getting a better deal now because it's the second run. <laughs> because this, mor- this morning, I wasn't sure how much time I have and uh, what speed I should go. Uh, and so, but now, now I know uh, what to cut out uh, and what to put in. Okay? Uh, so, uh, let us start. And we, we just want to ask the Lord to help all of us uh, to learn from Him and uh, to prepare our hearts. Let's pray then. Father, thank you for the opportunity as a church family to get around and uh, to worship you, uh, also to get around the table and to have a spiritual feast. And we know, God, that you're at the head of the table. You're not there uh, like a disciplined master, like a commander or a king, but you're there as our father, and this is family meal time. So, Lord, as we get around the table, we are just going to listen to you, speak from your heart, and speak to us as your children because we want to hearken to you. So help us, Lord, because we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody say, Amen. Okay, now I'm going to assume that we are familiar uh, with this uh, parable, so I'm just going to uh, move on. I just want to ask the projectionist to help me, uh, because I give, I've given her my verbatim, uh, although she's given me uh, the, the, the control, uh, but I'm not, so, I'm not used to it. Uh, to, to control my own uh, PowerPoint. I always rely on uh, friends, uh, projectionists to, to help me. So she's going to help me. But I've given her my verbatim so she, she follow exactly word for word where I'm heading. Uh, uh, okay, now with that, uh, let me just uh, give you the introduction of this topic called uh, Purported Grace. It's 12 o'clock noon. Okay, I'm going to be very watchful of my time so that uh, I won't fight with your stomach. Uh, the first introduction that I want to say is regarding some trends. Trends uh, in the Christian scene in Singapore. Trends in certain doubtful church culture. Let me explain. Uh, There are three uh, broad, broadly speaking, three broad church culture that are already trending in Singapore and influencing the body of Christ in Singapore. Something that we should take notice because uh, it, I think have affected some members already and may in future affect more of our members. Uh, at the break time, someone came to me and said, well, my daughter already left PVH, you know, uh, went, went over and she seems to be happy there. Should I ask her to come back or not? No, it's a question like that. Now, so what are the three trends? Firstly, you have the trend of 
uh, prosperity gospel. Uh, prosperity gospel focuses, emphasizes on material blessings uh, for the believers. And so people who propound this or adhere to this trend want to express the church culture with very rich and very flashy lifestyle to show you, well, this is our culture, this is our church culture. And therefore, they embrace the very worldly culture in the name of the gospel. It means what the car they drive, the way they dress and the branded suit, etc. They say it's okay, we're embracing because uh, this is a way to communicate the gospel. So we are doing it in the name of the gospel. Now, this trend, of course, has been around for some years already and created its own sets of value uh, and culture. And it is a trend, if you summarize it, uh, it, uh, it is uh, Christianity monetized. Everything is put into money terms. And the, the trend leads to exponents uh, that would corporatize the church. And the church becomes like a company, run like a company. And you, you have a CEO of the company. Uh, and uh, leadership, etc. in the church is a very corporate culture. Right? Hire, fire, KPI, and, and so forth. And they, they make money and materialism uh, very prominent in church life. And they are not ashamed about it. So we see huge churches flowing uh, with this trend, having multi-million dollar budget, run like corporation, powerful, uh, charismatic leaders. And we know that, of course, this is quite uh, doubtful in the sense that Jesus taught us that money and God cannot be placed on the same plane of worship. Uh, and we're very familiar with the teaching in Matthew 6.24 that no one can serve two masters, either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Uh, also, Christianity that I think your church, my church, teach and um, encourage is a Christianity that encourages us to practice Christian lifestyle characterized by simplicity and uh, contentment. Uh, I've been mixing around with your church leaders, the elders, or they may be doctors, they may be high flyers, but I look at them and there's that simplicity and that contentment with them, which is uh, very biblical. So, that much of prosperity gospel. Now, the second trend is called the perfect group trend. Now, this perfect group teaches their followers that they belong to a very special group that can make no mistakes. All right? Uh, and advocates of this trend believe that they are always right, never wrong. They are, as a result, they can be quite arrogant uh, and very, very inconsiderate. They just care for uh, their, their, their own welfare. You know, nowadays, uh, I, I, uh, churches get into premises or building, and then they begin to share building. Uh, and I have to deal with a matter where uh, a perfect group church occupy one floor, uh, and they conduct their worship, their music is so loud that the whole building and the floor plate go into a simple harmonic motion. And the rest uh, of the people, uh, they, they were so affected. But however much they complained, went up to talk, nothing gets, uh, gets done. 
and that was my first contact with uh, this group. Uh, they believe that, I mean, they attract criticism, but they believe that those people who criticize them, complain against them, try to correct them, they are just doing out of envy, jealousy. And the way to handle these people is to politely ignore them. So, you know, because I, as a lawyer, I'm involved in this uh, for, for the client. And I've, they are very civil about it, very courteous in their reply uh, of all the complaints, you know, uh, put against them. But in response by conduct, you complain about simple harmonic motion and all kinds of things. Uh, they respond by conduct uh, doing the same thing. They just ignore it, just, just ignore it totally and carry on. They become insular as a church because they isolate themselves and the belief that other churches seem to be envious of them all the time. Uh, they're absolutely independent and they do not account to any mature third party. How to summarize this trend? This trend is, it is Christianity par elitism. It is, we are elite, you know, well, we are, this is it, par, par elitism. We, we are always right. We can never be wrong. Uh, and this is really taught every time uh, you, you come to uh, a service. You know, the pastor will teach you that you are right. You are on God's side. You are anointed. You have all the wisdom in the world. So we, everyone really know that we are right. We are right. can never be wrong. You know, all the young people. Huh? Uh, and so they inculcated with a consciousness of pride in belonging to a select and special group. Our church is special, not like any other church. This is a special church. You know, we, uh, you know, we, we are well taught. We know what is right. Uh, so, I, I think that uh, uh, they have their, created their own value, their own culture uh, as well. But we all have been taught otherwise, isn't it? We are taught by Paul, the apostle, not to be conceited. And we should be considerate uh, towards others to look out for the interests uh, of others. And you can refer to Philippians chapter 2, 3 to 4. And so you, you have these two trends. Um, and uh, this second trend is growing very fast uh, and attracting, of course, a lot of young people. And uh, the, the, the way they grow the church is unconventional. I think they have just adopted the latest way to grow the church. Guess how to grow a church? Pokemon. They use Pokemon. The, the church is uh, a sport. They, they got invited the app group to put a lot of uh, things that and people are now packed to come to church to, to catch them. You can imagine that this place is packed to the brim when I'm preaching about God's love. They are <laughs> But, I mean, so long as it grows, uh, it's amazing. Uh? It's amazing. Anyway, Let's go to the third group, and that's called the purported grace group. Uh, popularly known, I mean, if you are out uh, in bookshop and people talk to you, they are called hyper grace, super grace. Huh? And the, the person who wrote a definitive book against this is Dr. Michael Brown. He wrote a book uh, carrying the title hyper grace. There's a, another shorter work by Dr. Colin Hertz. He wrote a book on this trend, and he coined pseudo-grace. 
is not grace. Uh, for me, I just coined another word called purported grace. And it is not grace at all. It's purported to be grace. In fact, uh, in its extreme form, it is just license. You do what you like. Uh, I give you a license to do what you like. You can sin. You can do anything. You know, you call yourself Christian, but you can sleep around. You can steal. You can tell lies. Whatever. It's license. So, uh, also, those who follow this trend say that there's no need to work on sanctification. I'm sure uh, you know to some extent this, this big word uh, is how we can uh, grow in holiness, in maturity in Christ after salvation, uh, uh, in godliness, called sanctification. And I, I will say more to this because now I'm just giving you an introductory sketch of the three trends. Now, these three trends are in, infecting churches very rapidly, create its own church value, cultures, very attractive to, to many Christians. And the reason is very simple. It is very attractive to be a Christian when you can embrace materialism, be money-minded, be Christian, but never mind, you can be materialistic. Wow, very attractive. I also want to be a Christian. It is very attractive to be a Christian where you can feel elitism. You are elite. You, you are above everybody else. Uh, you Humanly speaking, you're infallible. I'm not saying that I'm divine, but I'm human, but I'm, I can't make mistakes. Now, this is very attractive to be such a Christian. It is also to, very attractive to a Christian without having to work at Christ, uh, sanctification. No need to grow in discipleship, no need to grow in holiness, no, no need. You know, just be a Christian. Very attractive. And it is attractive that you can sin and not be condemned because your past sin, your present sin, your future sin, have been forgiven already. So, we won't be dealing with all three trends. We'll only be focusing on the last trend called the purported grace trend. So, I say this by introduction. Another thing I want to say by introduction uh, is this. We want to deal with divine love that's being expressed in the grace and in the compassion of God. We know Christianity, the, the uh, rock bait uh, is love. God so loved the world. I mean, God is love and God loved us. And uh, out of this love, there's com- God had compassion for us. God extended His grace for us. It's an expression of, of, of God's love for us. And I have chosen the parable of the prodigal son as a Bible text to, to launch our study this afternoon. Uh, and we're going to study the doubtful church culture of purported grace. And I use the word culture because it's a very broad uh, word. It can cover doctrine, it can cover the value, it can cover their the practice, it can even cover the language, the lingo, the expression. So in a very broad thing, when you say culture, okay? And why I use the parable? Well, because the parable teaches a uh, very powerful truth on love of God, on compassion of God, and the grace of God. And they, they are very clear, very definitive truth that would counteract against the doubtful teaching uh, on purported grace. So if you master the parable and what it teaches, you will be able to handle you know, this purported grace thing that may come your way. The parable has characters representing God the Father and the two broad camps of Christian. You know, I, de- I, I want to divide Christian, Christians into broadly two camps. 
one camp is performance-oriented, and the other camp, grace-overwhelmed. Right? One is overwhelmed by grace, the other one is performance-oriented. And the two brothers in the parable, uh, in a way, give pictures of, of these two camps of people. Now, uh, with that as a background, we are ready uh, to study. And I will cover this afternoon study in two main points. The first point, to take a look at grace that uh, has been misconceived by Christians. And of course, if you took a look at the, uh, if we're taking a look at the parable, then we say it is grace misconceived by the two brothers in the parable. Older brother, younger brother. And then the second point we'll deal with the grace that, that has been released by the father in the parable. Right? So these are the two uh, broad things we'll cover this afternoon. Then I'm going to take a, a pause, a couple of seconds, and I'm going to uh, ask whether, are you following me? If you're following me, you wave your hand. Okay, well, very clever, okay? <laughs> I tell you why you're clever, because I preach in the morning, uh, and, then, uh, and, and then a lot of feedback. The feedback is, wow, that's it, die, die, die. Huh? Second service, how must, uh, must lower down to, to what standard? Then I say, better test. It's definitely, they're more intelligent. <laughs> so, I will increase the chimonology. <laughs> Never mind. Okay, the first thing. Grace misconceived by the two brothers. The first thing I want to share with you about parable is this thing about more law and less grace. More law and less grace. And I, I believe that for those who are a bit mature with background, you, you know that uh, Christianity has the law, God, the Ten Commandments, the law that God wants us to obey and command. It was so important. It has to do with governance, everything else. And then grace. You know, by grace, you are saved through faith, you know, or, you know. By, uh, by, by, by faith through grace, whichever, you know, whatever preposition you use. But basically, grace is so very important. Now, but I'm saying, how about more law and less grace? Let's take a look. Parable, verse 18, the, the younger son said, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of the high servants. That verse, okay? He say that. Skip the rest, come to verse 27. And one of the servants said to the older brother, your younger brother has come, and because he has received, uh, your dad received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Verse 28. And the older brother was angry, would not go in, and therefore his father came out uh, and uh, pleaded with him. Verse 29. Uh, we skip again. Huh? Then he said that, uh, Lord, these many years I've been serving you, never transgressed a commandment at any time, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came and has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. The first statement I want to make is this. It is possible for Christians to have different views on the grace of God. It's quite startling, you know, because the grace virtue is so important. How can we have different view, right? But it's true, you know. You sit down, I'll have one view about the grace of God, you have another view. 
And that is why today you can have a hyper grace, pseudo grace, purported grace, and biblical grace. People got different view. Let's take a look. How about this parable? Actually, shows us uh, some uh, major uh, difference that people can look at it. The younger son. Now, the younger son, he believed that he would receive the grace of forgiveness. He went back to his father, right? And uh, how to receive it? Well, by repentance, by confession, and by performance. So that's why he went back, you know, now now and said, I've sinned against you, you know. And uh, he, he, well, I think he carried along with him a, a sense of guilt. That's why he wasn't very flippant about it, you know. And, and then he also believed that uh, in doing work that could earn back the father's partial acceptance, partial, he feel that, well, if I go back, if my father got no grace, he'll throw me out, whack me, call the police. But I think he got enough grace to take me back partially, like, make me a servant. I don't think I can become a son anymore. So, I'll work at it. And this is a picture of one way of looking at grace of, of, of God, huh? And most evangelical Christians share this belief that most of us, and I'm, I, I, I categorize all uh, Bible-believing uh, Christian, evangelical Christian, for the sake of our today's study, right? And I think most of us share this view of the younger brother, either consciously or unconsciously. Uh, evangelical Christians are very performance-oriented. Christianity, you must do things. They, it's not a position thing. They, they are not so position conscious. They are not conscious of their position as sons and daughters of God. So, if it's performance-oriented, they work hard to make sure they gain the delight of God. I want God to be happy with me. I want God to be pleased with me. Let me work at it. But they have a very faint view of the grace of God. Uh, not that they don't believe, not that they don't know, but it doesn't come to mind. Uh, this whole thing about grace, grace don't come in. But do, 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 always come in. Put the younger brother aside. Now we come to the older brother. The older brother was obviously offended by what he misconceived of the grace extended by the father to his younger brother. Now, he has his own idea of what grace should be. Eh? He believed that to remain in the acceptance, to remain in the love of the father, he should work faithfully, he should work obediently, and he should work seriously. Uh, and, and that's why he said that, well, you know, I, all this I slog for you, I didn't disobey you, and I don't ask for God to have a party, and I'm very serious. Because that, his, that is his idea uh, of grace. And we see again the performance orientation. Uh, and the, uh, uh, he, he was not conscious of his status as a son, but he was living like a servant. I think to this older brother, it's unthinkable for him to abuse the grace of God by asking for something so frivolous as to uh, enjoyment and celebration. I said, no, I won't ask. I won't even ask. I better be serious. Um, and he, he, he thinks God is a hard God. So, consistent with this belief that God is a hard God, uh, he, the, the older brother is very hard on himself. Work, 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 no party, no friend, work, work, work. So hard on himself. Consequently, 
he's hard on his fallen younger brother. When the brother comes, they wow, how can I punish him, man? Very hard on others. Uh, now look at ourselves, evangelical Christian. I think we have similar conviction. We think of God as a holy and a hard disciplinarian. Wait until you sin. How many of you, I tell you, didn't do devotion this morning? Stand up and confess. <laughs> yeah, you know. You know oh, and it's that uh, a lot of things oh, I didn't do. I didn't do. You know, God, God is like that. Hard, whole, very holy. So they're hard on themselves. Very serious about religious requirement. This morning, rain or shine, whole place was packed. All must come. They're not don't come. You know, this morning your church was raining heavily. All packed. See? Ah, so serious. Uh, and. Uh, Unlike you people, can't wake up early. <laughs> or for second service. <laughs> no, second service is universally the most popular service. Universal. I mean, America, England, they say that uh, also the 11.15 is the best. You're very wise. <laughs> now, uh, they tend to be judgmental. They tend to be very unforgiven for those who have fallen, especially when it involves certain sins. And that's why leaders, elders, pastors, denomination involved in evangelical churches will struggle over wow, to marry the divorcee or not, to conduct or not. No, can they remarry? Uh, people fallen now, then now how to deal with them? We struggle with this because, you know, we are so afraid no, of um, like compromising God's stand, purity, standard, and we are not quite daring on Stepping into grace, stepping into compassion. Huh? I'm not judging you, God, because I face the same problem, okay? And I'm just bringing this up to show that the, we evangelical Christians have got this issue about our image uh, of God. Of course, some churches are worse than others. I mean, your church is very, very balanced because I, I, I mix around with your, your, your SP a lot. I hear his view. It's very, very balanced. Right? You, got, you are very blessed you know, to have him as your... SP. I mean, certain church, uh, uh, they, they cannot celebrate Christmas. No such thing, all right? Uh, and you say that, can we have Christmas? Oh, is as if, what? Are you a Christian? Talk about Christmas, you know? And uh, if you go to church, all men must wear long sleeves and put on tie. All. No such as uh, T-shirt, round hair. And all women must wear dresses that cover the knee. Today, I'm talking about today. Very, very serious type of thing. Huh? Uh, and so, is it evangelical Christian, Christianity believe that we are the one teaching law and grace. But actually, seriously speaking, uh, we are tilted more to law than grace. A bit tilted more to law and grace. But we don't know, like, we just feel that we are teaching both. And that's why I captioned this segment at the start. Huh? More law, less grace. And uh, I think evangelical Christianity in Singapore, charismatic or conservative, is too performance-oriented in their walk with Christ and in their work for Christ. Christians are taught to work hard at their sanctification, maturing process, and work hard at world evangelization. Whether it's sanctification, evangelization, work at it. And this has led 
to lots of Christians with badly stricken conscience or a burnout spiritual condition. Many of them, not, not all, but many of them. And these are the people who leave evangelical churches uh, that, and then go over to churches that is overwhelming them with grace. Wow, they, suddenly they found so refreshing, you know, that I have left the evangelical and come over to overwhelming grace. They are attracted to churches that teach no law or grace. It's not surprising that many of them found the healing grace of God in churches teaching overwhelming grace. That brings us to the second point I'll talk to you about. No law, but all grace. My observation is that many evangelical churches are tilted towards more law, less grace. But this new tagline for these new churches is no law or grace. Now, purported grace followers believe that it is grace that set them free. And it is the law that's bring, uh, responsible for bringing back to bondage. They feel so bonded, uh, the, 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 the weight of it all. Therefore, they should flee the law. Uh, they do not want to be in the presence of anyone speaking on the law, the requirement of the law, the Ten Commandments, do this, do that. Uh. Because once you hear it, they simply walk out. Now, this, of course, is a very principal feature of the purported grace culture. They give no room for the teaching of God's law. And uh, I'm not going to teach you what Jesus said, that I've not come, you know, to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. A, a lot of proof text, I'm not into that. I'm just saying what they are teaching and why people are going for it. Huh? So this is a feature. Uh, I, I have a friend, uh, a couple, worship left my church, went to the purported Grace Church, and then, uh, of course, we do keep in touch, came back, attend wedding, etc. And they swear uh, by the church that they have been set free. Lawrence, I've been set free by going to that church. Uh, I'm free from the bondage of sin and the law. Uh, then I talked and then said, well, uh, uh, how are you getting on? You know, uh, now that you're a mother-in-law because it's son got married. La. No, 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 no. Don't, don't say mother-in-law. There is, uh, don't mention the word law. There's no such as father-in-law, mother-in-law. Uh, so they immediately, I mean, this is, I was talking, I was taken back because he shut me off. He said, please, say mother in grace and father in grace. Uh, I, I was shocked because I, I, I don't want to be rude. So in my heart, I say, I, they are in bondage to purported grace when real grace we have set them free. And so funny, they say that I've gone to Grace Church, I've been set free, and then come and they speak to me that they are in bondage to that instead of extending grace. Uh, but I think we, we all know from Bible, I won't refer to some of the scriptures that we will flash there, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 to 14, uh, because if you want to go and defend our evangelical position, I mean, there are books on it, no? so it cannot be within the limited time that we have. But we have a, uh, I, I think they're wrong. But, so that, but that's the second feature, okay, about uh, Christianity that is uh, minus uh, sanctification. Uh, they, uh, be, beside this uh, fact that there's no room for law, is minus the sanctification. And the Bible teaches very clear that if we, we choose 
God chose us from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Okay? Now, the third feature. The third feature is that uh, they believe that God has already forgiven the past sin, present sin, and future sin of the believer. It always come across uh, in, in, in their, their word. Now, if you believe that, I mean, they believe it. So, if you believe that, then in keeping with this teaching, the purported grace follower believe that there is no need to confess and repent. Think about it, logical. Uh, past, present, future sin have been forgiven, then you need not uh, repent. Uh, there is no teaching on confession of sin and repentance from sin. Of course, it's quite clear that they are required in Scriptures, and it is quite a critical doctrinal point. Huh? If repentance and confession are necessary for sins to be forgiven, it follows that any sin not repented and confessed is not forgiven. The fourth feature is this, that the purported grace trend does not embrace servanthood, service, and suffering. And why, why, why do they have such an aversion to things like that? Well, uh, they, they feel that these are the value uh, that would send them back to the bondage of performance. Uh, and grace set them free from this. And then if you talk about this, it's going to send us back to the bondage uh, again. So, don't like to talk about that. Now, the, then the cornerstone feature is that they, they insist that there's only one meaning to grace. Because the word grace from the Bible is to be understood in various facets. But they say, no, 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 we're talking only about Grace equals unmerited favor. Is God's grace for us? Is unmerited? Can't work for it. We cannot earn it. It's already given to us. It's all everything is so immense, forgiven already. But we we know, of course, that uh, there are other aspects of grace that include effort, because uh, what we call the grace effort. Huh? Uh, it is grace that enables us to pursue after spiritual excellence. Uh, a grace that uh, give us strength to go on uh, when we're under trial for a long time uh, to, to uh, just when we're torn in flesh and God won't take it away God said I will grant you grace so there's a grace of uh, endurance then there's a grace of sanctification where God said I will give you grace that you can grow in sanctification and we know that Christian life that when we live in fullness of grace is very thrilling experience for us okay so I've told you all this feature. Now I want to give you a caveat, right? Before everybody starts walking out. Now, I have read books representing opposing sides of this trend. Uh, I have read Dr. Michael Brown's book on hypergrace and Dr. Colin Hurt's book on pseudo-grace. And these two just very uh, thick books uh, to tell you all the things that are wrong, all the scriptures that are wrong about the hypergrace school. I've also read Pastor Joseph Prince. The, in the world, I think he is the most respected teacher on, on grace, uh, the, the, this grace school. And he wrote a book called Destined to Reign. You can still get that. Uh, and it was written about 10 years ago. I read that book. Also, uh, in April this year, um, I was in a group of pastors in the Love Singapore Committee uh, and we invited Pastor Prince to come and dialogue with us. Uh, we have been talking about uh, going to see this brother about his teaching for some years. 
because we are in Love Singapore, we, we mix around with a lot of churches. A lot of pastors have been telling us that they're very concerned, very concerned about that type of teaching. And a lot of members are living there and uh, the teaching they hear about what those things I say. Huh? Uh, and uh, aren't you going to do something about it? Is Love Singapore popular? So finally, finally, we, we decided to do something. And the, the thing that, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was uh, some big-time church leaders from China came. You know, in, in China, your house is shut down. I mean, we only pastor one church. They were pastor, 1,500 church, 2,000 church. Uh, they were a million of men. They came and said that, hey, we are very alarmed, you know, this um, Grace Church now affecting our members. In China, it's persecution, suffering. Now, no more already. You know, now it's hyper-grace, you know. And this thing come from Singapore. You know, are you all doing something about it? <laughs> and that was where we panicked and said, wow, when Chinese leaders come and see us, uh, that you must do something. And so then we set up an appointment. Uh, finally, we got an appointment. Um, Pastor Print came with two, and then we were, uh, I think, six of us. Six against three. Yeah. And, and everybody, everybody tried to uh, jump in, but he's very, very good. Uh, yeah, he's faster than he, he spoke. And uh, uh, as he wanted to jump, he said, wait, 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 wait. Please, you must give me a chance to speak. You know, you're, there, are, there are so many against one. <laughs> he said that. And uh, yeah, it's true. You know, well, he only can say it. There are so many of us. And it was a very interesting uh, interaction. And it was April this year. After the interaction with him, uh, we discussed his theological stand on the various features of uh, doctrine of grace. And then after the meeting, um, I personally corresponded with Pastor Prince. I wrote to him, he wrote back. I wrote to him, he wrote back. And uh, I have subsequently read his book, which is a sequel to Destined to Reign. It's entitled Grace Revolution. And w- w- what happened was I wrote to him. I said that, well, Pastor Prince, about a meeting, you know, uh, well, we are still a bit uncomfortable because the, the, the things you say that you didn't say and the thing that you said, you say, but misrepresented. But uh, it is not conveyed by destined rain. Uh, why don't you write a sequel to reflect that position? Because we did confront him. He said that, well, no, brethren, because brethren, all, uh, I mean, Brothers, brethren, I felt so good. Brethren, <laughs> everybody grows, right? You also grow, right? I see, yeah, we also grow, right? Yeah. So we, I have learned, you know, I've changed in the past ten years. So I say that why, uh, why not you then write a book to to give your latest position? And then he say, I have, huh? I have, yeah, I wrote last year. And then I was embarrassed, huh? Because he wrote, and I asked him to write. You know, he wrote. Then he said, if you didn't, I will send you a copy. So he sent me a copy, a very thick copy called uh, Grace Revolution. I also read it, uh, took out color pencil, I color pencil, all the things. And it's true. Uh, he has clarified, he wrote clearly in writing that he believed in doctrine, uh, he believed in the law, the law has not been abolished, he believed in sanctification, confession, repentance. He said, to the committee, that there are preachers in the world all jumping onto the grace bandwagon. And it's true. Sprouting all over America, uh, Europe, even Europe. Uh, people will say that I'm a grace preacher. 
just jump on the bandwagon, but they're teaching all kinds of wrong doctrine on grace. And uh, they, they are, in his view, wrong, right? Pastor Prince said they are wrong, but he has been innocently, unfairly lumped in together with them. You know what I mean? Victim, huh? Uh, and he also said that some of his members, because we keep saying that uh, so-and-so members came from your church and came to tell us this. So-and-so, they say, uh, brethren, yeah, your church members also go out and talk about you, right? Yeah. So we consider every round we lost. Um, yeah, and it's true. So you see, I, I've been misrepresented, which is, is fair lah, because people can leave this church and misrepresent uh, Pastor Kok Fai and say, yeah, Pastor teach this, teach that. Then if you confront him, he say, no, I didn't. You know? And uh, so he said that I can't control false teachers that I get lumped into. I cannot, uh, I cannot control my errant members. I got thousands, uh, now about 30,000. If, if they misrepresent me. So please judge me by what I wrote. So that becomes the basis. So, uh, okay, today I'm not passing judgment on Joseph Prince. Right? Uh, I accept what he had written and said by clarification. Today I'm, I'm talking about a trend and the trend has certain features. So we're not talking about the man. Uh, your church has a very, very high standard here because I think Pascal Fine said in this church, we don't talk about other churches, we don't criticize anybody. So you don't invite a guest speaker to criticize. I don't. I'm not criticizing any church or any uh, pastors. I am give you a critique of a trend that is affecting people. So are you with me? So we, um, I think it's terrible uh, if we spend the whole of this afternoon and you listen to criticism, etc. Then you leave, you feel very, uh, very not edified. Like I come Sunday, I go away very negative. Huh? So I, I don't think we should. Uh, but therefore, what, what should we take home? Anything that's positive that we took and said, this today the Lord spoke to me. I think that uh, we should spend time talking about true grace that the Father has released to us with the backdrop of the hyper-grace with the features that we are, mm, say question mark, question mark. All right. So let's move on to the second part. And uh, with verse 20 of the parable, and the son arose, came to the father, but he was, he was still a great way off. The father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell his neck and kissed him. Right? And then uh, it, it was... Uh, 22, the father said to his servant, bring out the best rope, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, send it on his feet, bring the fatted calf here, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again, lost and now found. And they began to be merry. Uh, and then verse 31, he said to the older son, son, you're always with me and all I have is yours. Now this is a picture. I picked up those words that reflect uh, on the Father and how He releases love, grace, and compassion. That is the type of love, grace, and compassion that we all believe it. Huh? Let's try to unpack it. A, the love, compassion of God that is not clearly taught in evangelical churches. Why are, why are there so many Christians accepting this new teaching on purported grace and then leaving evangelical churches? Singapore, a lot of pastors say, I've lost members, I've lost members. 
thousands of them all going over to the Grace Church. Uh, and I want to suggest some reasons why people are leaving. Uh, and incidentally, my church is not exempted. Huh? The first reason could be the lack of teaching on what true grace really means. Members are not taught what true grace Christians who left their churches probably used to attend churches where the topic of grace not taught well. As a result, uh, the defecting members have been endeavouring to find salvation, sanctification by work. They, mean they go to churches that they thought that I must win salvation by work, it must do something. I know grace, faith, but plus work must be by work. Uh, and sanctification is by work. Then they go over to a grace church and suddenly they felt liberation. They really felt so liberated. The whole countenance, everything changed, okay? That's one reason. Not probably that. Second, they have been properly taught uh, about doctrine, but then somehow they come into contact with purported grace. They begin to be influenced into thinking that, hey, maybe I've been wrongly taught. Actually, they were probably taught, but then they start thinking, uh, no wrong become wrong, huh? They say, maybe I was taught a combination of law and grace. And it is something like, you know, you, well, those of us who are not doctors, but then we, we go to the internet and research on high blood, on diabetes. And they say, you I think I've got these symptoms. As you read, uh, somehow, whatever you read there, you start feeling it, you know, correct, no? Uh? Yeah, but actually, you're okay. Uh, and, and you're okay with uh, law and grace, but you can't contact. It says, yeah. I think there's something wrong with me. Uh, for this Christian, the purported grace teaching has persuaded them that for years they have been feeling condemnation under the law and they need liberation. They say, yeah, it's true. No, I need liberation. They soak up the teaching on purported grace, believing that it can set them free when in fact there was nothing wrong with their experience of grace. And I believe that the root problem of these Christians is their confusion. They are very confused between the experience of condemnation and their experience of conviction. Because God gave us a law and the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin. Because you, you need the law to tell us what is right, what is wrong. And then the Holy Spirit convicts us of, of sin. And then turn, the whole idea is to turn us to God uh, who will give us forgiveness by, by grace. But, but this Christian believe that the law is there, condemn us, you know. After condemning us, uh, once you're condemned, uh, grace is nullified, is cancelled out. Therefore, we must, grace is so important, we mustn't let law nullify it. That's out with the law. Right? And uh, they, they swing to the other uh, extreme. They believe that they should have nothing more to do with the law of God, lest they also lose the grace of God. So that's the second reason. Third reason is that those believers who flock to the purported grace may be drawn there because they're not prepared to make any effort to develop their Christian life and walk with God. In the previous churches already, well, they're quite like cardiacal and uh, they're not working it, and, but they still carry on. But someone, they, when they went over, they said, wow, this church is liberation. Man, only work at, this is the church I like. And so they, they are there. Uh, Purported grace teaching has persuaded them that all effort on their part in Christian discipleship, Christian growth, are not necessary. Purported grace categorizes all effort as legalism. This word, uh, legalism, will come across 
uh, very prominently, uh, if, you, if you talk to your friends who are very into this. And legalism must be avoided like plague. So you mention to them uh, words such as discipline. Hey, it must be discipline, no? Effort, put in the effort. Work at must have integrity. They immediately cry, oh, legalism, legalism, you know, we don't, we don't accept it. But of course, these are taught in the Bible, in the New Testament. It is New Testament Christianity, not legalism. Fourth reason is that we should examine, uh, we should examine crosses, this uh, fourth reason, is that the, the believers are drawn to purported grace because they do not see the release of grace by the church on the people who fail and fall. That means they, in a previous church, evangelical church, they can't see grace being released. They say, oh yeah, when they go over there, wow, there's so much grace. So they all flock there. And I think we should take a look at it. Is it true or not? in our churches, your church, my church, that people cannot see the way we release grace to people who fail and fall. They find their churches filled with Christians like the older brother in the parable. They find believers and church leaders that are very critical, very judgmental. They find evangelical churches are only driven by work, all kinds of demands, and showing no compassion at all. They find sermons preached at evangelical churches harping, harping on things that weigh them down. They say sermons on, of evangelical churches hound them, hound them, nag at them every Sunday. Give more, give more, give more. Do more, do more, do more. Pray more, pray more, pray more. You see? So they claim that all the pulpit messages keep showing them how far short they are in terms of their spirituality, holiness, and devotion. And then they flock there. I'm just saying that a reason why they flock there. And that, I think today, for take home really, is this last point. I got uh, 30 minutes. The love of God expressed in grace and compassion. This is the one that we believe in. This is the one that we want to check, and this is the one that we want to receive as well, not as teaching, but as a recipient. The emphasis concerning the grace of God that is spreading around the world is something I rejoice over because grace is such a vital topic in the New Testament. So, I'm not, I'm not really angry against this new grace movement. In fact, I was very sympathetic uh, when it burst into the Christian scene about 15 years ago. Uh, and when, when it first came, uh, I, I didn't criticize it. I said, hey, it's quite good. Uh, I, I didn't want to go there or send people there, but I said that, come on, give credit to the fact that now this whole doctrine of grace is just coming full frontal boom, at me and, and woke me up. Uh, and it influenced me to some extent. It corrected my tilt from too much emphasis towards work and effort and then brought me to a balance with grace and compassion. You see, I wasn't conscious that there was a tilt in my own life, in my leadership, in my church. But this, this person who brought in grace jolted me and I take a good look and say, ah, I have quite forgotten to give emphasis and reference to grace. So I begin to tilt it back to balance. Um, I've been more conscious about the grace of God in my life, in the life of my church. Grace began to influence all my messages 
and it has set my members free without the extreme things, right? Uh, I want to, uh, after listening to you, you are very worried about me already, right? You're not even invite me. Huh? So, I must give a Boy Scout declaration, okay? I, Lauren Shaw, hereby declare <laughs> that I'm not an adherent to purported grace. I'm not, I'm not. Tell the neighbor he's not. <laughs> but I believe in confession, I believe in repentance, I believe in sanctification, I believe in suffering that God allowed, not the suffering that caused by my criminal conduct or whatever it is. I believe in service, I work very hard. I believe in discipleship, I believe in devotion, I believe in discipline. What has changed for me is a starting point to all these I've just mentioned. Discipleship, consecration, everything, all these things. Something has changed. And the starting point has changed. In the past, it started with me working at them so that I can find myself in the delight of God. Because I work at this because I want God to be pleased with me. You know, uh, I want God to be delighted. Lawrence, I'm so delighted with you, etc. So I work at it. So it starts with me. I work at it. You lead me to a point where God takes delight in me. But things have changed. The sequence starts with me and then leads to God. But the problem with this sequence is that the me at that time and today, unfortunately, is still very inconsistent, still very human, not perfect. Up to today, from time to time, I falter, I fail, I fall. So, when it happened, then you have got to deal with the accusation of an enemy, you have to deal with the sense of guilt, condemnation, you've got to get back on track. And then I had to work at it. But actually nowadays, it's, it's the other way around, okay? I changed the sequence. I want to recommend to you today to change your sequence. If you are like my previous sequence, start with you, lead to God. I, I, I suggest to you now, start with the love of God that's expressed by His love and compassion. And then, this will lead you all right, to know that God loves you dearly and motivate you to live Christian life as a response to that love. And the sequent change, you see, is the same one. It's not, you know, it's not. Okay. Uh, it's a different day, day and night. Because the same human fallibility is still present. But then getting back on track, staying on track is so much easier by the grace of God. And I can just easily shut up any condemnation of the devil and I just lean on the compassion of God. Uh, it was a tremendous freeing effect from the bondage created by the devil because the devil just placed too much on that. that you are responsible, you must do it, you must do it. And yet, we are so unreliable, we, we need so much help from God. We need to emphasize more on the true grace of God in our teaching, in our conduct. And the key elements of our emphasis on grace should be as follows. Use the parable of the prodigal son. Now, today we have lack of time, but go back and study. Study the father. How did the father uh, respond? How did the father react? 
to the horrible sun, and none of us can be worse than that sun. Uh, curse the father, took away the money. I mean, it's, it's, it's just so horrible. But how did the father react? That is grace. God the Father loved us deeply. Whatever state we may be in. I don't care what state you're in now. This morning, and I don't know, for the past few months, you are backslider, you are whatever, I don't care. Whatever he loves you deeply. And the, the parable tells us the unfailing love of God the Father. You see, the younger son dishonored the father, abandoned the father, lived in sin, wasted his life. He's the most horrible guy. But the father still loved him. Before, and the word is before, before, before the son got out of the depth of sin and depravity. The son was still in the sty, still with a prostitute, still gambling. At that time, the father loved him. Before he changed, he loved him. There's no need for the son to be cleaned up, transformed before the father loved him again. Because the father was waiting for the younger son to return. He loved the son before, before any sign of repentance appeared. Right? Because he was looking out every day. The father received then and accepted the returning son before he could utter a compassion. Do you know that? No? He got no chance to utter. He already he ran, embraced, kissed him. Then he wanted to confess. It's before. He was not even properly cleaned up. God the Father restored the dignity of the younger son before the younger son could work and earning back the father's love or trust making restitution, giving proof of his uh, contrition uh, uh, and, and showing that he inflicted punishment and discipline. In short, the youngest son could not do anything to make restoration happen because it happened before he could do anything. How could he do anything to make restoration when it happened before he could do anything? The father initiated celebration before the hearing of confession, repentance, pronouncement of penalty can take place. Because the father was obviously overwhelmed with joy while the son was in genuine grief. So, it's the sequence. It's the before thing. In the past, my sequence was different. It was started with me, it led to God. Grace teaches us that it should start with God and then it should lead me to near, get near to God. Of course, the theology, I mean, expressed this way can be quite disconcerting because we are not used to hearing things like that. It's like uh, it takes the me out of it. Well, you feel uncomfortable because the, the me must be there, right? Because you control, ma. Uh, but now you take me, it's that you are you're totally at the mercy of God. And plus, you are so sinful, so inconsistent, and always feeling, how can, how can? Is the theology behind this sequence correct? Listen to what the Apostle John said. In 1 John 4.19, 1 John 4.19 is on the screen. We love God because He first loved us. The word is before, like, you could paraphrase it. Uh, before we could love Him, uh, He already loved us. We thought that, hey, you should love God more. Uh, you know? As you love God, God will love you. God find love more. How, how? Serve more, you know. Do you do something, then God do something, but it's actually it's before. And Romans 5 8, God demonstrated his own love towards us that in while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, God didn't just say he, he loved us. God, I mean, God 
died for us at a time when we were sinners. And this is called grace. I mean, of course, it says that for God so loved the world that He sent His Son to die for the world, etc. But this love, the expression of it came. Grace is being expressed. Compassion is being expressed. Forgiveness is being expressed. So now we come to conclusion. Three minutes more. Hungry or not? Hungry, huh? And he arose, came to the father, but when he was still a great way off, the father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So this afternoon, what we should do is we should come before God the Father and tell him how much we appreciate his love for us and that we must thank him for the grace and the compassion he extended to all of us before you do your cleanup, before you confess, before... He's already extending uh, to it. We can come in whatever state we're in, in what, a number, whatever number of time we have been in that state, and He will still love us and restore us. See, everything starts with His love for us and make it possible for us to respond by coming back because you, you, you can't come back to God if not for the fact that God first loved you, okay? You can't even get past the gate. And then the rest of the things that we want to do, like confession, repentance, sanctification, devotion, go forward, will, will follow naturally because in a parent of the younger son, got to do it. But the picture God says that, look, before he did all these things, I was there. Then after that, of course, he said, please forgive me, I want to be a servant. He, he did say all those things, was very prepared, you know. And the story, if we go on, if Jesus wrote the parable, he would be very hardworking, etc. So motivated already. But God said, look, I want you to see the Father how much he, he really loved us. And I just want all of you to take back. This thing is so, so very important because uh, it will set us free. We've got to bring, we've got to bring in, we're, we're tilted, I mean, especially Singaporean. So performance-oriented, I mean, it's into our psychic, I mean, it's so into us, it's almost like impossible to take it out, the performance orientation. So that we bring it into every area of life, even love, life, parenting, everything in Christianity as well. But it runs so contrary to this basic doctrine of the grace. And so I'm not asking to swing to the other side because it's also unbiblical. I'm asking you to bring back the tilt because we tilt it wrongly. It's too much of the performance. And we're all suffering because uh, there is a, it's a bondage that we created that God didn't want to be there. And the reaction of a lot of uh, our friends who left us and gone over there is because they went and then suddenly experienced that liberation. You don't need to go there for liberation. Today, here, we can get liberated because it's God's grace. It's not a particular man's grace. Come and just, God, I thank you so much that I can receive your grace in whatever state I'm in. You know, uh, Kofa and I were friends. Sometimes he offends me, sometimes I offends him. So, should I forgive him? I think I will. La. But God said, I'm quite glad. Three times I forgive him. Then God said, You cannot. He, Kofa, forgive me seven times. Jesus uh, said, No, no, no. You two jokers always quarrel. You must forgive seven times, 70 times. This is standard. This is Kofa and Lawrence standard. Seven times seventy times. I want to ask you a question. What is God's standard? 
when you offend him? You think it's a Lawrence standard? Three, seven? Got five standard? Or 70 times seven standard? Is that God's standard? Is that God's standard? It's impossible. It's, it's the, the unlimited thing. And you offend God the thousandth time. You come and say, God, please forgive me. This is a thousandth time. Then God say, Hai meh? Thousandth time ah? Hai meh? I thought first time. No, no, it's a thousandth time. God checked the book. No, this is the first time. Nine hundred ninety-nine times actually have been blocked out. You know, so I remember your sin no more. I mean, the, the, when I forgive God, fine, I count how many times, seven times, four times, five times. I still remember. I forgive already. You know, God said, when I forgive you, it's all wiped out. Uh, I mean, the other doctrine about accountability, report, about good works, etc. We're not talking about it. God says that. I mean, the capacity to believe, uh, to, to forgive is powerful. It's powerful. The cross is powerful. God's, the, the blood of the Lamb is so powerful that it cannot be down to your standard and my standard. You just got to just have a quantum leap. I know it's very hard. I find it very, very hard to, to grab it because I'm so finite, you see. Whereas God is, the, the death of Jesus Christ was, the blood of the Lamb is so powerful, so infinite, it's so difficult for me to grasp. So that the more absurd I say things, probably I'm correct. But the more calculative, scientific, and, and so reasonable, I think we're underestimating. And today, you must, every one of you, I mean, because we're all so liable to fall, fail, inconsistency, etc. And we really want to try, right? We love God. And it's to change the sequence, and you come to God and say, God, wow, I appreciate today, I really appreciate that you love me so deeply. And that your compassion and your, your grace is so immense. It's blowing me. And I want to receive it. And I'm so happy. I'm so glad. And just in response in the days ahead, just help me in this to live in a way that will be pleasing to you. And the rest will come. The passion, dependence, everything will come. Are you with me? Let's pray. Come on, everybody. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. We, we are three minutes out. But I, I want you to spend one minute so that everybody can respond to the altar. Huh? But you respond to the altar by creating the altar area where you're seated. Is that okay? So if all of us, where we're seated, if we bow, hey, close our eyes and say, God, I'm now at the altar area. I want to make a response. So you respond to God where you're seated. If you want to speak to Him, speak in your spirit. Don't, don't, don't speak aloud because the person next to you also speaking to God. And why not you have everyone have a transaction with God? Maybe something you disagree and you ask the Holy Spirit, tell me, I, I, I don't quite agree on this. Something that God spoke to you and said, God, that really touched me. That, that, that's my attitude. That's my reason. Or, it's the last point. Say, God, I want to come and tell you I really appreciate, really begin to know how deeply you love me. You tell God and, and speak to God, right? Give you one minute, then I'm going to pray for you uh, and, and dismiss you, okay? Everybody, go to the altar.
quietly in your spirit, spend one minute with God, and the one minute begins now. Okay, let's join our hearts in prayer together. Dear Father, we come before you today so, so encouraged and so liberated by what you heard, uh, what we heard you say right into our heart that you love us. And in fact, you, you're overwhelming us with the love and compassion before we could even utter the first word to say, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. And Father, we just, just help us to love you in return. That we know that in the days ahead, your grace and the Holy Spirit will help us on the road to grow in our sanctification, our discipleship, various things. But now, Lord, our starting point is that we are really, really loved by you. That grace is always on our side. And there is such compassion for all of us in our humanity, in our imperfection, and in inconsistency. And Lord, we know that you would help us fulfill what is really in our heart. Because truly, truly, we want you to be delighted in us. We, we, we want we want to make you happy, actually, because you, you, you matter to us. So, Lord, now dismiss us with, with your blessing. Lord, dismiss us with the blessing of the love of God, our Father. Dismiss us with the blessing of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The power, the anointing, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Lord, let this triple blessing come upon us today, abide with us today, the whole week and then forevermore. And let all God's people say Amen. Okay, thank you. Let's rise. It's appropriate for us to respond to this loving Father with this song, This is Our God.
Testing you on stage. Oh. 